0: Love, talk radio.
1: Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today. And thank you for taking time to be with us as we tackle several important broadband issues. Um, a lot of it all going to be focused on uh, wireless and this new thing called Super Wi-Fi or TV White Space. Um, our our role here at the at the show is to provide useful information and insights to help uh, private, public, and nonprofit organizations get broadband everywhere it needs to be. And I have to say that from all of the research I've done on on um, TV white spaces and this whole new area here. Um, of of using unlicensed spectrum I think there is a lot of great potential to open up some new areas to broadband that have been struggling with costs and terrain issues and just a number of different things and so uh let's jump right into the show so our our guest today is Leslie Cheney who is the chief technologist for New Hanover County in North Carolina and uh the city within uh the county which actually has Uh, super Wi-Fi going on is Wilmington, North Carolina, and uh, I believe they're one of the first, if not the first city that was green-lighted by the FCC to use uh, super Wi-Fi, and um, so we're going to get a little progress report and see what's going on there. Leslie, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Craig. It's a pleasure to be with you this afternoon.
1: Great, and also joining us today is my guest co-host, Stacey Higabotham, and Stacy is a senior writer for the uh, web media site GigaOM, and uh, she has covered a lot of technology issues and is definitely up on this stuff, and so it's actually a great pleasure having her on board as well. So, Stacey, welcome, and thank you for joining us today as well.
0: Thank you for having me, Craig.
1: Sure. So, let's kick in the gear here Um Leslie, so speaking in in layperson's terms, what is super Wi-Fi, and what is it that makes uh, super Wi-Fi or TV white space a logical option for small and rural communities?
2: Okay. So uh, the white space or the super Wi-Fi that we're using is just another set of frequencies uh, in the spectrum that can be used for wireless data, and those are the Frequencies that were left over during the digital transition. Uh, we were the first community in the nation here in Wilmington, New Hanover County, to go to digital television back in 2008. I think that's what positioned us in the FCC's eyes to be ready to to look at some of the potential for the super Wi-Fi. What we've seen with this particular spectrum is that it it works very well. Uh, in areas where there is foliage, in areas where there might be impediments uh, in the way of the signal. Uh, we've been able to put it into parks and uh, into our waterways and those kinds of things as we've tested tested this out. And it's working at very high speeds for us uh, without clear line of sight.
1: Gotcha. So it's it's about getting past what have been I guess uh, if we look at Wi-Fi and, and where it started, when people were talking about municipal wireless, uh, one of the downsides was both both the the um, distance that it could reach, and then the fact that even if you had a clear line of sight, as it were, uh, in some respects, uh, you you would still have terrain issues that would kind of get in the way as as well.
2: We we did one of the sites where we are now using um, the white space was a site that we had surveyed for a traditional wireless uh network some time ago to provide both some public wireless and some uh video surveillance and also just some observation webcams and when we did that it was one of our our garden areas we were going to have to add so many poles to the gardens and, and get up above some of the the tree lines and those kinds of things that it was just prohibitive from both a cost and from a just aesthetic standpoint within that particular location. So when we were first looking at uh, white space, that was an area we went back to right away and said, is this something that would fit in this particular location? And I'm pleased to say that location is live now and, uh, and very pleased with the result.
1: Mm-hmm. And by the way, uh, Stacy is going to be, uh, you know, posing some questions. Obviously, probably more technical questions than I will pose. Uh, and so, Stacy, just jump in anytime and and you know, add on questions and and comments and just rock and roll.
0: Well, sure, Craig. I thought maybe we should start or kind of go into the idea of what exactly Super Wi-Fi is. Um, I've been covering it since 2009, and it's kind of a little confusing to people, and it's totally not associated with Wi-Fi. In fact, the Wi-Fi Alliance can get kind of upset with the FCC when they call it super Wi-Fi. So did you want to do an overview, or would you like me to do an overview?
1: Well, let's start with it from uh, Leslie's perspective, and then you can kind of fill in any of the – any gaps that are there.
2: Yeah, so so Stacy would would probably have a much different – perspective than I would. I, I consider myself sort of a practical technologist. So on my end, I can tell you how we use it, um, why it works well for us. One mm-hmm. um, one thing most people uh, may not understand about uh, the white space is that frequencies vary from market to market. So here in Wilmington, we have a relatively low amount of broadcast traffic or licensed broadcast channels. So we have a lot of frequency available for this particular use, a lot of channels available for this use um, in our market. And it is not a technology that can't that I can pick up, say, in my cell phone currently. It is not Wi-Fi in, in the traditional sense. We are using it Uh, only now for backhaul to get from point A to point B. So it is an extension sort of of our wired network. We have good wired coverage to our county facilities. I mentioned the park. So the park has a building in it that has a, a Internet point of presence or a point of presence on our network. And we use the white space technology to extend that network. Out to another point where we would have a traditional sort of wireless access point, or another sort of device on the end of the white space radio. hmm
1: So now, Stacy, are we making we you know the industry or the FCC making a mistake in labeling uh, this this uh, TV white space as super Wi-Fi? Is that going to get us in trouble down the road?
0: No, I don't think so it's 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 purely a i guess a copyright branding kind of thing, but I think it is important to distinguish between wi fi so this is uh, the white spaces broadband efforts they kind of came about in two thousand and nine, and it was companies like Google and Microsoft and Motorola and Dell coming together and saying, "Hey, when we switch to digital, so all of our t v signals go." to digital, we'll have all of this spectrum that we can finally kind of chop and take care of and use that for unlicensed broadband. And it's similar to Wi-Fi in that it's unlicensed. Um, And this is an important thing you'll see later on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when we did that, and it was a big fight with the FCC and a lot of actually preachers and Dolly Parton and a lot of people came out against it because, Microphone, wireless microphones were also using that same frequency,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and now they're kind of cut off. You can't use them anymore. And the question now, though, is will, will towns like Wilmington show enough success that we won't try to take that unlicensed broadband or unlicensed frequencies now and use them for broadband? Because right now the FCC and Congress, are looking at taking some of the white spaces broadband and auctioning it off to carriers, especially in urban areas where there's a lot of congestion. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that's something we can talk
1: about in a little bit. Okay, so in the oh, um, uh, so coming back sort of into the, into the practical or the business or even the government side of, of this in terms of need, what were some of the needs? that um Leslie the you had defined or the 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 city had defined that made um TV white space a good candidate for meeting those needs
2: okay so if if i step back a little bit from where we are in 2012 to how we got started looking at this technology around two thousand ten or so, um, myself and and some other folks from the city of Wilmington, uh, some of our um, private sector partners got together and started talking about if we had access to this technology, what kinds of things would we do and this was when we were we were working under sort of an, an experimental kind of mode, and we we thought about things such as traffic cameras, uh, water quality monitoring sensors, smart city sort of applications, um, and then, of course, the, the, the real candidates that uh, come to everybody's mind, public access, wireless uh, in our outdoor spaces, video surveillance cameras um, in certain areas of the city or certain county properties as well. So we started testing some of these. We have a private sector partner, TV Band Service, who coordinated a lot of that for us and actually secured the the experimental license from the FCC for us to get started. And we brought in just anything we could think of to try. We had, I mentioned water quality monitoring. We put in uh, a radio on one of our fire stations and then a base station radio and put another radio on a... Citizen's dock, and we hung a water quality sensor off the end of his dock, and we're able to see in real time some of the readings out of that um, that particular tidal creek. Something we had never been able to do before. Uh, one because it, it you ju- we just couldn't get those kinds of distances without the clear line of sight. Again, uh, this technology is also proven to be movable for us, so we could remove that technology fairly nonobtrusively and move it somewhere else and reuse it uh, for other monitoring. We brought up the the traffic camera on one of our parkways in another area that's environmentally sensitive where we couldn't always go necessarily and trench in cable or put in more poles. We had to go where we already had uh, something uh, that we could use. So we... um, we quickly came up with a lot of use cases in the municipal county government arena for the technology.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So there was a lot of um, there were a lot of little. Well, I, I shouldn't say little things. I mean, they were all important, obviously, but they weren't so much pressing. I guess needs more so than a lot of. Uh, areas where you could increase efficiencies and better overall management of certain government operations if you had this technology in place.
2: That That's very true. That's very true. And one of the newer projects that we are looking at will be to bring um, some public access to some kids in an area of town um, where uh, we have found there's very little access to the Internet in the homes there. Mm-hmm. So we are are working on a project not to get this signal into their homes at all, but to provide some access at the areas in their communities where they um, they would congregate after school, those kinds of things.
1: Right. So is it more of a public uh, availability of Wi-Fi is what you're shooting for, like hot zones or that kind of thing?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. That is, that is true.
1: Okay. And how's the... Oh, sorry, go ahead Stacy.
0: Oh, I was I'm a Speeds and Speeds and Feeds kind of girl. So, what kind of service are you seeing for or what kind of service do you expect to be able to offer in those public hot spots?
2: So, in those in those public hot spots, in the beginning, we'll be doing just single radios, and what we've been seeing is somewhere in the 6 to 10 meg range on a radio, on a single radio and it's in, it's been interesting from my perspective to watch some of this technology evolve. Uh we've been working with a couple of different uh radio uh manufacturers and the first iteration of radios that we have out uh, are manufactured a little differently, you know, a little um slower speed and the ones we're doing now seem to get um, more throughput, uh more bandwidth and can also be Trunked, if you will, with multiple channels in order to get more throughput to an access point.
1: So, um, do you have a follow-on, Stace? Before I move on, or
2: no? That's
0: that's well, actually, yes. Are you are you able to do any channel bonding? Because if you, I, I've been told that some of the newer radios can bond, you know, these, these channels together to get, you know, up to like hundred megabits per second.
2: Yeah, and that's what I was mentioning with the what I called, I guess, trunking is the same thing that you would you would call uh channel bonding, which is using multiple of the frequencies to get more throughput. And that's one of those evolutions we've seen and, and I've only been exposed to three of the radio manufacturers and again yeah, they're at different points. The radios are different um the technology is still relatively new
1: hmm. now in um let's also i guess go back a little bit so that uh i mean you were the, you were the first case, so obviously uh th- there's not a whole lot of best practices in place yet uh you're sort of you know making it up as you go but in in the very beginning. Uh how did you go about incorporating the um uh, the the T V white space equipment or providers? Uh you you mentioned in an off off show comment that there were a couple of uh, folks involved uh, from the provider side or from the vendor side of things.
2: So so we first got involved through um through our partner which is T V band Services. And they brought in Spectrum Bridge and KTS radios um, to do proof of concepts. So we got started with those guys, as I mentioned, in in just the test arena. Uh, They were willing to bring their equipment in, um, as long as we provided the network and the places for them to test. Mm
0: -hmm. So they
2: came in, and we we threw. Um, I hate to say threw up, but basically that's what we did. We put up base station radios uh, on a fire station, as I mentioned, in a park. Um, we tested different scenarios with uh, with the radios out in the park or uh, in the Tidal Creek out on the parkway to see what kind of reception we would get, what some of the issues were with the early radios. Um, and what was very interesting or, I guess, very positive for the industry is that all of them worked. There were only a couple of things that um, that we even had any trouble with at all, uh, getting the radios to work. And now the ones that we have in place in our live deployments are rock solid you know, as far as um, their continued uh, uptime.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, is there a central... Um... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the, the, uh, a knock or the the equivalent. Stacy might even maybe may be able to phrase the question a little bit better. But in terms of the the, the physical network, or I guess people's conception of a physical network, right? There there will be a, a number of radios, and the radios feed back to a central box or a central office or or what have you. How does how does the the physical layout there work, or are you guys still sorting that out?
2: No, actually um those the folks that build traditional networks would see these radios just like any other sort of wireless radio on their network. Mm-hmm. So um the the big difference I guess is the base station radios in these um has to be placed first. The base station radio will go um onto the internet and to a database which Spectrum Bridge is one of the providers of that, the company I mentioned earlier. And the radio will say, you know, I'm in Wilmington, North Carolina at this location. What are my available frequencies? And it has to set itself on a frequency so that when you go to set the radios out in the perimeter areas, that they can communicate back with that radio on that frequency. So once we put them in place, though, we monitor those links between the base radio and the, the receiver radios just like we would any other network you know, link. We can mm-hmm. see up, down, throughput, all those kinds of things.
1: And go ahead, Stacy.
0: What kind of costs are we looking at? If I were a municipality and I thought, oh, I totally want to do this, what kind of questions do i need to be asking myself what kind of budgets do i need to have what kind of experience do i need to bring in?
2: so the the from i'll start first with like the experience my my network uh folks here on staff um have adapted very quickly to this new technology um they haven't had a very steep learning curve at all. Of course, we've had good partners to help us with some of that. And from a day-to-day management perspective, it's really um, no more than any other uh, network hop that you might have uh, out there. From a cost perspective, the radios, when we first started, were prototypes. A lot of them hand-built. So the costs... I tell people all the time, I have no idea what an actual radio costs. We have chosen to rent those from um, our partner TV band service. So they have made the capital investment, and we rent those, and, and we pay you know a couple hundred dollars a month to keep those things running um, at our different locations. And when the price settles out, then we'll look at purchasing them. And the prices that you know you just hear through the grapevine are or, are or, or sort of all over the map from a couple of thousand dollars to several thousand dollars to a couple of hundred dollars for customer premise equipment. So I think that has got to settle out and people who get into it um now will have to weigh out, you know, is this worth the money at this point to get in first or can I rent, such as what we're doing or Know, is there a vendor willing to to work with me in that way until the the radios and the technology becomes more, you know, commercially available? What kind
1: and Stacy, my- would you like?
2: So price points for us would would need to be in line with some of what we pay for standard equipment, you know, a couple thousand maybe on the on the the radio side would be in line with what we would be looking for for the applications we're using now, of course, if we were looking at a longer haul point-to-point with a bigger throughput. And some of what you mentioned earlier, the ability to aggregate more channels and get more throughput, of course, you'd pay more for that than you would, say, a single-channel radio for a shorter distance.
1: Now, Stacy, you might be able to comment on this one. I I had a conversation uh, with someone the other day uh, from from WISPA, and we were talking about uh, the, the white space technology and his his uh, perception uh, is that the uh, developments that are happening internationally are moving forward at a significant enough pace that that might uh, result in ultimately equipment in the U.S. being available for less money because, in essence, there'll be some economies of scales in other countries where manufacturers can ramp up and then. That drives down prices, which in turn then they can start selling them in the U.S. for uh, for less money. Do you think that's a um, a valid uh, assumption?
0: I think there are – anytime you have economies of scale, so anytime you have more people making more chips, that's going to be great for anyone who has to buy these chips. So, yes, the prices will fall. The U.K. Is, has been pretty aggressive about deploying – or experimenting with white spaces broadband, um, they might be a little bit ahead of us. It's it's kind of hard to say. I will say that just a couple weeks ago, in the U.S., a couple or a bunch of rural universities got together to create what's known as the AirU Air dot U project, which is an effort to bring white spaces broadband to colleges in. Appalachia or rural Alaska, in places where they don't – there's not going to be fast, super fast wire line access. And that is another thing that could really help kind of standardize equipment and then drive down prices. The question is how will that get funded and will it actually come to fruition? And that mm-hmm. I
1: don't know. Uh, Leslie, was it difficult to um – uh, or is it difficult to envision cities being able to um afford this or justify the cost uh as as your project becomes more uh well known or widely known
2: I don't I don't think it will be difficult for them uh, a lot of us face the same challenges um we face challenges with keeping costs down We face challenges with providing more services. Like a couple of years ago, providing wireless access at a playground would not have been something we necessarily would have been interested in. But with the advent of more tablet computers and smartphones, uh, the public wants that kind of access. We also have all the smart city applications that I was mentioning um, earlier as well, and the ability to manage um, our remote access or our remote assets Uh, in a better way without sending people out all of the time. So the efficiencies that we can gain from that and and some of the enhanced services for our citizens, uh, I think, make the technology valuable for us. And I mentioned earlier, too, something, um, the portability piece. Um, So our parks director, if he wants to move one of these cameras that's in the park, because he wants the public to view something different on his website. Seems like a little trivial um, thing, but uh, the ability just to pick that up and be able to move it without a lot of trouble to just re re I hate to say re aim. That sounds so untechnical, but that is what it is. Re aim <laughs> the the radios and get them back online quickly without a lot of of laser sighting and, and propagation studies and all of those kinds of things just makes us much more responsive.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, when um you look at the benefits of improved or enhanced service deliveries, or you look at the improved efficiencies at managing, you know, traffic lights and so forth what kind of a an impact does that have? Is it quantifiable? Is it strictly uh qualitative you know you said you have anecdotal evidence that you know yes, this is a great benefit uh, How do you see that playing out because i'm 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 assuming that folks will want to know well, if I spend x, will I generate y and benefit
2: so th- some of the applications that I mentioned were um Let's take your example of, of a traffic light kind of management, or being able to remotely manage, say, a piece of uh, a piece of equipment that I would have had to drive to otherwise. Um, those kinds of things are, are pretty easily quantifiable. You can say it would have taken me X amount of staff time to drive their X gallons of gas or, or whatever uh, ever figure you use. So you can quantify pretty well um, those sorts of things. Um, we do keep statistics on how many folks are using our networks, say in the parks or in the libraries where we have traditional wireless. So we can show how many people are actually making use of the service. Uh, it's not something that we recoup a cost for. It's just a benefit that we Provide to our citizens. So those things are there as well. I think it just depends on the goals and objectives of each governmental unit who might choose to employ the technology uh, and how they fit it into their organization. Mm
1: -hmm. Do you see um, a particular type of application generating more interest or excitement than others?
2: Our Citizenry seem to be most excited, of course, by public access. Um, it's something that we've provided to them indoors for a number of years now at our public libraries, and more and more um, folks are uh, are wanting it outdoors as well in our I mentioned our parks, our riverfront we've got quite a nice um, riverfront area where people uh, like to go um, and offload, I guess, some of their cellular um, traffic to a public access kind of network. Mm -hmm. So those things um, are requested very highly for us. Um, We used to do uh, water and sewer here in the county, and that's now uh, done by a separate entity. But back in that time, um, we relied on a very slow uh, SCADA network, you know, that was basically on um, an older system, and being able to use a technology like this would give you better access to some of the controls of those kinds of things as well. I see SCADA being a big uh, possible uh, use of the technology also. Mm-hmm.
1: So from the government agency perspective, SCADA might be the uh, the winning or maybe the lead app that gets a lot of people to, to buy into it overall.
2: I would think I would think that would have to be up at the at the top. We've also seen um our um, sheriff's office and others really excited about um, the video camera surveillance kind of cameras that we've been able to put up because of the higher speeds they're able to really they're able to control a camera pan tilt zoom, which they can do from their squad car, yeah, if they get a call at one of the parks. That there's some suspicious activity, they can actually view that before they arrive on scene. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Stacy, from your you know high level view of, of what's going on with uh, TV white space, uh, are you hearing stuff from other governments about you know what things they're interested in?
0: people are interested. I'm trying to think of some of the cooler applications that I've heard. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of governments are using it for economic development, but that's less white spaces than kind of... White spaces is still so new, so most people are thinking about Wi-Fi and kind of faster wireline networks than connected to Wi-Fi for economic development. Mm -hmm. But I was actually curious about things like securing the network, and if that's something you guys think about, especially given like monitoring water quality and that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. do you guys have security on the network? Is that a feature built in?
2: We do. um, The radios themselves are not the point at which we introduce the security. It's the things we put on the end of the radio that sort of introduce the security, such as the camera encrypts the signal until it is back at the server that it's destined for. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So
0: even if someone hacked your network, the communications on the network are encrypted?
2: Are encrypted, exactly.
0: Okay. And then with things like video, you had mentioned that you guys hook this into your backhaul network as your metro Ethernet network.
2: Yeah, we have a we have a mixture of network connectivity at the different locations. Metro Ethernet is one of the um, technologies we use.
0: If you're looking at like people in parks, you know, consuming video over their public Wi-Fi that you guys are providing, that's something that could clog the system. And you're talking about you know traffic cameras or security cameras. Is this something that would have to like that might force you guys to upgrade your kind of metro networks?
2: oh sure sure and and that's one of the um one of the things that that we've talked about here, how we manage that. I mentioned the um network that we want to put in for the kids in the underprivileged area. We first talked about putting that in as as wide open public wireless, and then we said, "Ooh, can we really afford to do that without some significant investment in our in our back end and we decided to start small with that and just allow the kids who were part of these special programs in that neighborhood to access the network and let's see what the demand is and what the return is um, for that usage. We, of course, manage our network different ways. We have quality of service, so we can give different quality of service to video versus general Internet surfing versus voice traffic, which we also run on our network. So we can do some shaping in that way of what actual bandwidth people get at these locations. But it's one of the things when we um, when we put in public access at the libraries that I mentioned earlier, it, it's a cost you have to factor. If you want to offer um, that kind of high-end service at a very good level of service, then there is going to be some upgrade uh, on the back end.
0: Sure, and I think about things like education networks, and even
2: mm-hmm. like
0: one of one of the applications that the Air you guys are really excited about with white spaces that just popped into my head was medical uh, access and being able to share like radiography reports, X rays. Let's just call them X rays um, between you know people that might be at distant clinics or sending them out you know to a doctor in a big city to evaluate. And that just seems very bandwidth intensive, although a really wonderful use case that I'm sure many governments or universities would love to provide. Um, So is that something that citizens, you think they would be willing to pay for? I mean, fundamentally, it's how do people pay for these things and who pays for it.
2: Right, right. And I think, again, each each government's going to be a little different in what their citizenry are willing to, to pay for and what the return on that investment is uh, as well, Um, some networks are going to have capacity to add it on without upgrading the back end. In North Carolina, we are very fortunate with our local governments to have very good, what I consider to be low-cost access um, to Internet resources so we we use a combination of some public providers and some private providers for internet bandwidth but um good value here so we're able to add some of these these things at a very low incremental cost for us yeah as internet bandwidth costs have actually decreased over the years um other areas that may not be the case they may not have capacity and may not have the access we do in this area you know to that that good um internet service
1: so they'll have to take a lot in a in a case by case basis which i guess is the the norm anyway so that's um that's fine i mean i would see in some respects uh the possible justification being Uh, that improving the backhaul aspects of the network improves communication for the city overall, and all the agencies Mm -hmm. that access that um, backhaul or access that infrastructure are going to benefit by it. So in in some respects, you're not doing the enhancements just for the ability to provide uh, low-cost or free public access you're doing it to improve overall government operations and then say, well, you know, a, an additional bonus or benefit is I can now go out and help some of the lower income areas.
2: Right, right, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And we, now, have, we, have, oh, go ahead. we have had interest also and, and had conversations with a number of the um, rural ISPs, wireless ISPs, uh, very interested in... in the technology and what we're seeing and what we're doing so i think that you're going to see customers for the technology beyond you know the government space as the technology matures. Hmm. That, uh, yeah,
0: and i think i think they've been talking even about for the wireless internet providers they've also been talking about using a version of LTE over that same those same frequencies. Um, the, i know the iEEE is working on a, a spectrum, or sorry, a standard for that frequency, for LTE in that frequency. So it's not it's not a crazy idea to think of, like, more traditional cellular technologies in unlicensed space.
1: Do you, Leslie, do you see the possibility of um, a network such as yours being, uh, in essence, rented out or loaned or whatever to the larger carriers as a way for them to offload a lot of this uh wi fi traffic that's bogging down their particular infrastructure,
2: you know I had not thought about renting out space on the network, though that is a very interesting um thought because we all know that that there is um somewhat of a scarcity of of data capacity in a lot of areas for these folks, I mentioned um, we are a very densely populated area, and a, a population that's full of kids at a university and a community college here who all have their devices and all want use of data networks so that that thought is is a very interesting one. Um, I know that I have heard of of wireless devices that may in the future be able to switch actually to a white space sort of network as we begin to see chips come down to the device level as well. Again, to offload from, say, an LTE network or something like that to a different technology.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, what is, to shift gears here a little bit, what do you see or do you see a possibility for um wireless ISPs, with to come in and be able to, again, tap into your network in some way, some sort of uh, relationship where they can then provide wireless services to residential and businesses for in-building use.
2: so so if the if the wisps were wanting to get into people's homes and we were to help them i think it would be from a a sort of um location kind of assistance perhaps we let them locate equipment on one of our facilities or um or on one of our towers per se to um allow them access to some citizens who they may not otherwise be able to reach. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not sure necessarily about network type of access at all, but uh certainly we work with private partners all the time to to help uh further businesses within our community.
1: Right, cuz I know that in, in North Carolina you've got all these restrictions on government's mm-hmm. ability to provide services to uh, to constituents, and I think it even went as far as to make public-private partnerships difficult. At the same time, uh, it seems like uh, if there were uh, private sector companies, and 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 WISP were actually the first ones to come to mind, particularly in rural areas, because that's an area that they tend to serve very well and seem to be able to do so, you know, affordably. So if you basically are introducing a technology, you know the TV white space technology as a less expensive, more powerful broadband technology, then you know putting my marketing hat on, I can sort of guess say, well, down the road, let's figure out a way a way to get uh, WISP involved in. Um, The the, the technology and in fact this question came up last week on the show when we had folks from air.u on because they're you know getting universities together and they're trying to work out uh, partnerships that deliver um, uh, this uh, TV white space technology as part of you know wireless solutions to uh, rural and small town America. So I would think that you know you in fact you might even be a good candidate considering that you have you know both uh, the technology in place and then also you have a a uh, university uh, there and and then you've got outlying areas that are more rural and so forth and so on that you know the, you might just sort of take this uh, this testbed role that you're playing now and just expand on it some.
2: Yes, and I, I can see that happening for sure. I, I mentioned that we had had a couple of the the wireless ISPs um, very interested in our project. And, of course, the University of North Carolina Wilmington is our neighbor here. And uh, we have also talked with them about their use of the network. And, and you mentioned we're not far away from some of those areas where dial-up is all they have. Mm-hmm. So we're we're not – it's not a stretch to say that we could expand our testing into a, just a county or so over and be able to see what some of these possibilities are for the rural um, Internet providers. And we're always interested – government uh, has always been interested in bringing people into the community to provide better services for their citizens, you know, and, and provide – that kind of, of service. So I, I can see that this would possibly expand there as again as we gain some traction and more people become aware of the technology and its capability.
1: hmm Well you, you definitely sound like this is a good um uh you know a good opportunity. Have have there been any particular challenges, either technology challenges or you know, business operations challenges to getting as far as you've you've come so far?
2: Well, I think the challenges are the technology is very new. Um, I mentioned, you know, the radios themselves, just uh, beginning with prototypes and then getting an updated radio not too far after. And we put in some new radios at our detention center um, to do some, some remote surveillance out there. Uh, a week or so ago, and we're already looking at firmware updates. So it's a rapidly changing uh, technology. So being willing to sort of go with that, roll with that, uh, has probably been one of the one of the bigger challenges. But again, on the other side of that, I'll say it's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, you know, it's
2: really it's it's really. Fun for us in technology to get our hands on something new and to to see it work and to see the changes um, in the industry uh, as it's it's coming around um, with this new technology. hmm
0: And Leslie, are you concerned at all about the kind of the looming question of is the FCC going to auction off some of this these, these airwaves to Two carriers, or through an incentive auction.
2: Maybe, I'm, I'm maybe not sure how, a lo- how out there you are. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, no. Uh, everything that that we've done so far um, could, in some way, be replicated. It would be more expensive for us to do. And I mentioned at the at, at this time we're just renting the technology. We also were in an area where, also, I mentioned we have a lot of free frequencies, and I don't see all of them going away. I don't see so many of them going away even if uh the SEC were to decide to auction some of them off that we wouldn't have enough left over for what we're currently doing. Okay. Does that answer?
0: Yeah, yeah no, because that's that's one of the things when I look at this I I'm just like, gosh, it seems really crazy are not crazy, just risky to put out a network and then wonder if those frequencies will be vacuumed up tomorrow. And suddenly,
2: <laughs> even
0: if you're renting, it would be kind of a bummer if you're have if
2: you yeah, you yeah.
0: offering these programs.
2: Yeah, yeah, because uh, I will say, um, as with any technology, when you put it out, people um, really begin to rely on and use the technology. You know, our public would not like... Um, not having the public access in the parks that we've put in, um, our police guys would not like turning off some of the cameras that we have. So uh, hopefully, we won't lose all of the spectrum that we have available down here for the technology.
1: Stacy, do you have any kind, kind of uh, read on how how likely the FCC is to take that particular action? In other words, snatch up uh unlicensed spectrum for auction
0: I don't and it being an election year, it's kind of hard to say. I will say that the biggest the biggest give and take on unlicensed spectrum, so be it white spaces broadband or even even additional you know frequencies for wi fi is the idea that you can sell that, you can license that, and then auction that off to the highest bidder, which, you know, goes into government coffers, which is great. Government gets money. Taxpayers don't have to pay as much. The downside is that spectrum then goes to someone who may or may not use it and may or may not use it to the efficiencies that unlicensed spectrum has tended to kind of generate, I guess. If you look at something like Wi-Fi, a lot of things work in Wi-Fi and if we could add another, you know, frequency that made something like Wi-Fi possible, is it worth losing the 3 or $4 billion that it might generate in terms of auction revenue? I mean, that's fundamentally the question that people have to ask themselves, that people being the FCC, senators, even taxpayers. And that's kind of a hard question, I think. Um, well, I don't think it's a hard question, but I, I realize it's a big question.
1: So, Leslie, from your perspective, I mean, does the average citizen understand enough about what you're doing to understand why it would be at risk, say, from an adverse FCC ruling?
2: Uh, I can say no. Most folks don't understand at all um, the technology behind what we're doing, or the um, or the actual politics of of the spectrum at all. I, I think most average citizens take for granted anything to do with spectrum and they don't um they know they use it maybe they do maybe they don't but i don't think they think about the scarcity of spectrum or the fact that it is a somewhat finite resource you know um especially the kids today who just who have two or three different devices all using some sort of rf um so our citizens here know that we were, you know, first to use this new technology, but what it actually means and, and what some of the, the risk versus rewards are, I, I don't think there's been a lot of thought um given to that outside of those of us that have been working with it here in the government.
0: And I think it's really important for people like you, Leslie, um, and people like you, Craig, to get to to talk about these stories and to explain that you guys are, you know, having these remote surveillance cameras. Like, if you get a call from the park, the police can actually look in right there and see what's happening. Um, that's that's really compelling as a taxpayer for me to say, oh, so you didn't have to send a car out because you saw it was a bear knocking over a trash mm-hmm. can. Um, I, I really applaud you for kind of coming out and talking about that that sort of thing because I think that will help make the case for senators for fcc officials for taxpayers that this is worth investing in.
1: Hmm. So so there's definitely some uh there's some room for education. I guess it becomes a question of, you know, how much of that leads to motivation and so forth. Uh I, I guess a lot has to do with um uh, document documenting what goes on, which actually is a, is, a, is a question I suppose is, um, you know, what are you guys doing or do you have uh, I don't know a process in place, Leslie, that allows you to capture what are best practices at least best practices best you can figure out given how new everything mm-hmm.
2: is. So we yes we we do internally, and we should. Probably begin sharing those a little with uh with other folks we've done that informally I probably get five ten calls a week from different governments who have somewhere seen that we're using the technology and they're interested in it as well so informally, we've been sharing with each other uh what I have found or what New Hanover County has found to be some of the best practices. What we're seeing out there is use cases, um, how how well the technology is working in certain areas. But a, a formal way to share that would, would probably be really good. And on the education piece, I think we have tried, when we've had a um, an actual launch, as you would say, to to try to put some press together for that, tried to let people know, here's another use. And we'll have that again um, again, in the late summer uh, when we, we do our Youth Enrichment Zone project that I mentioned earlier. And I think we'll hit harder a little bit uh, the fact that this is that, that white space technology that is making this possible for us. Mm-hmm. If you were to, oh, go ahead, Stacy. Stacey.
0: This is this is a philosophical question. So if you have a practical question, you should probably ask it.
1: No, 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 no. Let's bring the philosophical in. <laughs>
0: All right. Um, I, I ask this of just about everyone. But what role should government play in the deployment or yeah the deployment of broadband? in be it you know wireless networks, be it you know wireline. I, I'm just. It's something that a lot of people think about, like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm spending a lot of time on Facebook. Why would the government subsidize or take any interest in that? that um, mm-hmm. is kind of the broad-ranging viewpoint. But when we get someone like you on to talk about things that you guys are actually doing that better the community, I think it's I think it's worth asking, you know, what your thoughts are on
2: that. Yeah, I think, I think um, the government has to provide that for folks who maybe can't get that for themselves. So our libraries are a good example. We have traditional wired public access terminals in our libraries. And since the downturn in the economy, we've had waiting lists almost every day. You know, people sign up and they'll wait 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half to get on one of those. And our librarians will tell you that the predominant thing they're using them for is job hunting. You know, they're on there looking at the the job search websites and those kinds of things because the traditional ways of finding jobs, you know, walking door to door are pretty well gone. You have to apply on the Internet. You have to search on the Internet to even find uh, an opening anymore. So that's been a a big thing for us, and I think we have to help provide that level uh, of access. And then our kids in schools, too. You can hardly do uh, any homework anymore without some sort of Internet access. So being able to provide that for the kids in a number of locations around uh, the county is, is it's just better for the citizens and the kids who live here. And I'll make one final point. we We did a study a couple of years ago to find out what were the barriers, because we are a very fortunate community and a large percentage of our folks have internet access at home, but there is a good number who still don't. And we said, well, what is the barrier to that? And we actually did some surveys and, and those sorts of things and found that the barrier wasn't always the device itself and the cost of a device, but what, it was the recurring monthly cost of the service. So we are not trying to get into their homes with internet service. I don't think that's government's role, but providing some access in common areas where job hunters, kids, you know, can get to the internet uh, is is important for us.
1: Do you have some tips, Leslie, on how um, you know a government-driven project, you know, starting maybe with the uh, Improving the infrastructure for internal or, or agency use, how you then work with uh, the private sector effectively to make this stuff more available and I should probably warn you we've got about three minutes, so it's sort of a summary question you know how how can you know from a government perspective following on, then you know how can they um, you know be forceful at making stuff happen?
2: So I hope that our success with the technology will encourage um private sector to to make use of the technology. We we mentioned the rural ISPs, you know, see that it works, which I think a lot of people have been waiting just to see that. We also, um, in New Hanover County provide these services that citizens want and and need and, and it does good economic development here as well for um for bringing industry in to our our community. Uh as far as the private sector uh partnering with us, I mentioned we've had manufacturers down, we have an integrator that works with us, all of these new businesses that um we're helping to um to to build their business around the new technology.
1: Mhm. Do you work with a committee structure as a way to, to drive this project or is it just your department takes on the role and moves it forward
2: so our department has been the lead on this the technology department but we have worked with um, county commissioners and county manager's office to uh, to help us define the projects that we're going to undertake using the new technology so Management really helps determine the value proposition for where we deploy the technology. So it's been a real group effort um, all the way up and down the chain, um, also to, to staff who come to us with a need where we think the technology might fit.
1: Hmm. Uh, Stacy, do you have any quick wrap-up wrap questions? We've got about two minutes.
0: I really can't think of anything. I'm just excited. To, I'm excited to have a have a story to tell about kind of governments using this technology and what can be done with it. So thanks for sharing that, Leslie.
1: So yes, this has been um this has been a lot of fun. I mean and I feel there's a there's a lot of potential here. So, you know, first off, you know, Leslie, thank you for being uh our guest today and talking about, you know, the progress that you've made and what we can expect for the future and I will definitely be keeping in touch as you oh, guys you go along.
2: Thank you. It was good to be with you today.
1: And Stacy, thanks for being my co-host, my co-pilot on this uh, this adventure. And uh, hopefully, we'll do some more stuff together. Lori, we've been working together, I guess, off and on now for the last year. So, you know, we're we're covering a lot of stuff in the same space, doing it in our own unique ways. And it's definitely great to to work with you and have you on on, on the show as a as a co-host.
0: Thanks. I'm I'm excited to talk to anybody who's excited about broadband, and you
1: fit the bill. And folks in the chat room are showing uh showing much approval as well. We have done well this day. This has been a good this has been a good show and I want to thank all of our uh listeners, I want to thank all of our supporters. Uh a big thank you always goes out to Hiawatha Broadband, uh, who is uh our our sponsor for um for the show. So we will be back again tomorrow talking to some folks in the UK about their uh community driven broadband network. I'll be doing a wrap of the conference on Wednesday, which actually, Stacey, you and I will both be there for that one down at down at Stanford. Oh, so, well, yeah. We
0: should, we should give our conference at Stanford. There is an unlicensed, the future of unlicensed broadband, or unlicensed spectrum and the value of the unlicensed economy, and that's happening at Stanford on Wednesday.
1: So everybody stay tuned. More stuff coming. Uh, thank you and have a great day, and we'll talk to everybody again soon.